Well, as you know, um, during the series, we just wanted to give opportunities um, for you to hear from others uh, in the church family, uh, because you tend to hear from me a lot, and that can get old. So um, I, I want to introduce you um, to Penny Borchert. Wave to the nice people, Penny. Can you go? Um, so uh, this week we are discussing, uh, looking at what does it mean to be with Jesus. And uh, in our church family, when we were just thinking about, there's a lot of people in this church family who just exude that. Um, but for me personally, um, Penny has been um, one of the greatest examples of that. That when um, I have needed encouragement or when I have needed to be with someone that I knew just spends time with Jesus, um, then Penny is often the one that I am looking for. And uh, God has been very kind to give me random appointments because um, Penny tends to run away from me when she has opportunity. Um, but uh, even in things like the drive through at the dairy barn, I find her. <laughs> and we have conversation. Have you ever had a conversation with someone in the drive through for the dairy barn uh, as you're walking next to their car? You get a lot of weird looks, but it's awesome, huh? So, um, so Penny, would you uh, do us a favor of just introducing yourself for people who don't know you, um, and then maybe, you know, how, how long you've been following Jesus, how long you've been a part of this church family? Sure. Um, my husband, Bob, and I have been married 53 years, and we live. <laughs> Praise God for that. <laughs> uh, we live right in the village of Lena, having moved back there four years ago after having lived here in Peshtigo for 19. Uh, but we have been here in this church since 1984. We have six children and 20 grandchildren. Uh, so that's what keeps you close to God. <laughs> So you just said that you, um, you lived here for a long time in Peshtigo, but now you have moved back to Lena. Yes. So I'm just curious if you could share a little bit about that journey and how that connects to this idea of just abiding in Jesus. Well, I hadn't thought about the connection, but I guess it's obvious. We were living our life here in the apartments just right next door. Uh, in a rut that we loved very much, uh, everything about it we enjoyed. Bob was driving semi-cross-country um, for much of that time. Uh, and then one day, out of the blue, shall we say, I was sure that God said, you need to move back to Lena. And uh, we had just we had just started the training for the gospel communities, and so it was tied to that, and the fact that um, three of our six children live in that area, and it was very much that we were going back for the sake of the gospel. Um, and so I told Bob that day, and he did, wasn't keen on that idea at all, um, and I thought, well, if that was God, um, he will get Bob in line, too. <laughs> and a week later, Bob said to me, you know, I'm quite sure that was not your idea, that it was God's. Uh, we'll go. We didn't know when or exactly where or how, uh, but he has orchestrated that um, 
all along the way, and even just a couple of weeks ago, I said, thank you, Lord, for bringing us back here. We would have never dreamed of it on our own, and it has been pure delight, and I hope in some way a part of his plan <laughs> for us and for the people there. So now what's interesting about that is you were, you were very comfortable um, you know, here, and you had planned on just staying here. It was either, uh, we figured our next move was either heaven or the nursing home, quite honestly. Yeah. yeah, which she actually said that to me several times. I'm like, not yet. Like, let's, you know. Um, so, so you gave that up. Like, you kind of had your mindset, this is, this is where I am. It's great. I'm right next to the church. And then you decide to not only just move back to Lena, but to buy a house intentionally, in a place where you a house with in. steps a house with steps <laughs> no uh, bedrooms on the on the on the bottom floor so you can see why our kids have been scared ever since we moved in there <laughs> yeah. Yeah. i'm known for falling right. well you almost we, <laughs> that would have changed this whole sunday i and everyone would have blamed me so i'm thank you for not um so you you go back there and now you have this place where um, it's become kind of a gathering spot there. Like you have a little fire pit in the front yard or the alley yard. I don't know how you, which one's. <laughs> yeah, our it. house faces an alley, which is really strange, but it's lovely, quiet. And, you know, this is something we purposely did. The fire ring was the first thing we bought uh, when we knew we were going to move, and we did it, and we placed it in the front yard um, intentionally. Uh, because we wanted people to feel welcome there instead of hiding ourselves away in the back. And um, so that's part of how we approached uh, going there. You know, I don't know yet that we are um, being and doing all that God wants us to be and do there, but that is uh, certainly our intent and what we keep asking him for. So what strikes me about that and why it was such an encouragement to me as you were going through that journey was how intentional everything was, that it really was just, okay, God, this was our plan, but you have a different plan. And so every decision was made around this idea of reorienting yourself around um, the gospel and being able to care for uh, people there and to share Jesus with them. Um, and that's not an easy thing to do because you're, you're pushing 50, is that right? Right? <clears throat> Yeah, I've pushed that uphill quite a while. You push, you push. <laughs> <laughs> well, we won't, we don't. Have to, but there, at, um, I mean, that's 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 hard enough for me at 29 to wrap my head around adjusting, adjusting. Like you know, when you get that plan in place of like this is what we're doing, and 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 now God kind of throws this curveball and says, no, I want you to do this. Like how how do you get to that point? Well, you know, it was the same thing as when we moved here. We had reared our children on the family farm that Bob had lived on since he was two and a half and uh, had never lived in town until he very clearly <clears throat> directed our path here. My um, aged mother was in town here, and Bob's dad was near, so that's why we came here. Uh, and at that time... He just smoothed that whole path so we could honestly say, having lived on a farm, the adjustment to 
living in town and in an apartment at that, there was never a single day that, that we regretted that. It was always good and smooth. And he's done the same thing here for us. Um, but that isn't really surprising. If he puts you somewhere, it's, it will be good. It would be better than what you had planned yourself. So. <clears throat> but it hasn't been easy the whole time. <clears throat> so I'm curious, what, what have you learned about when someone says abiding in Jesus and being with Jesus and resting in Jesus, what have you learned about that in the last few years on, on this journey? What has been, and maybe it was a new thing you learned or maybe it was something that you understood in a different way or something that was um, deepened in you. But when you hear resting in Jesus, being with Jesus, what do you think about? Well, I, I've had a couple of weeks to think about this, and two things have come to my mind. One, that for me, it's a rhythm. Um, I am very much not a methodical, disciplined person. And so um, I've come to this being with him slowly, <laughs> slowly in life, um, but I think neediness has driven a lot of it. Um, when things are new or things are hard or things are uh, out of one's comfort zone, I get pressed to him. Whether it's for me, for my own sake, or for the sake of my children, and with that many children and grandchildren, there's always something that's pressing you to Jesus. And, um, and so when I say I'm not, I'm not consistent in pursuing him, but I'm persistent, I may slack off, shall I say, become preoccupied with other things and lose a little bit of sight of that, but then I come back to it. He always draws me back to it. Whether that's sitting on my porch where I sit as much as I can during the summer months and um, sometimes reading uh, his word always, it's running through my mind day and night. Uh, he speaks to me through his word that I haven't even intentionally memorized but have just heard so often that um, that's how we speak, and, and I need that. I need him every hour. <laughs> and I will realize that in new ways, the older I get, uh, I know there are new horizons there, and he will, he will draw me closer in um, when times are hard again. So... One more question. It's off of what you just said there, that you say, I know the older I get, there'll be new horizons. And one of the things that has always struck me about you is how you are a continual learner. Like there's nothing, you never give off this impression um, that you've arrived or that you, that, I mean, a lot of our conversations are around just things that you're wrestling with and, um, things that you feel like God is calling you into or things that you're trying to grasp more deeply. 
Um, I'm just curious, is there anything specific that you can think of that you have lately, that you've seen in the character or nature or heart or ministry of Jesus that you feel like the Holy Spirit is, is forming and working that in you right now that you're, you're growing in, learning in, pressing into? I don't know if I can say one thing. I tell you, right now, I am being impressed. Um, we've been watching the, if I can say this, I've been, we've been watching the Chosen series. That's a lot better than other things you could have said you're watching. That's <laughs> what... And over and over and over, and I'm just uh, savoring... Um, his person, Jesus' personalness, his personal touch, his, his presence with people and with me, the kindness and gentleness. And um, I, I guess I'd say I, I came to know the Lord when I was young, before I was 10. But as far as... Um, purposely following him that started much later in life and the thing uh, part about gazing at Jesus um, even more recent than that so I am loving the gospels and and I never get tired of them and um, and I'm not answering your question but I don't know where to go with that uh, <laughs> I'm just loving him more as I see him more and needing him more and, and finding that, um, I don't know, I think Bob would attest to this, I'm much less, <laughs> I think um, Jesus is evening me out a great deal and I hope it's in a good way. I have to tell you just one thing. A couple of weeks ago, our youngest daughter in, introduced me to a friend at a football game. And she said, this is my mom. She, this is how she introduced me. She's not as short as I am, and she's a lot nicer. <laughs> so what do you do with that in public? So I just said, because my daughter needs this, I said, I hope she's not watching. <laughs> I said... I've probably just been with Jesus more than you have. <laughs> well, well, on that note, all right, well. Yeah, let me give that, let me take that. That's, now, you have to know the heart of Penny right there that that was a glorifying Jesus comment, not a shaming of your daughter comment. And, uh, don't worry, at least this is a really big area, so this will never get back to her. This is, um, there's no chance anyone here knows her. Um, anyway, so, but what I, what, all, all I would just say is, I, I want to say to you how much we all love you and what a treasure you are to us. Um, it's great to be 72 in this church where people will pick you up if you fall. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Yeah, you have, yeah, we have, we have some people who have some strength in that area. So uh, you're surrounded, but I, you also have a lot of little ones that are running around that could trip you too. So it's, it, I think it evens out. But um, I do want to say though, that is, that's the thing that I hope that you grasp. I mean, this is a woman 
who has been following Jesus for decades, and she is still growing and learning and changing. And I've learned so much from her of what does it look like. I mean, I, I, I want to be you when I grow up, a taller version, maybe not, maybe nicer version, I don't know. Um, but, but this idea that it's just a lifelong journey and how God is never, never through. Like, and there's never, you can read the Gospels a million times and never get tired of what you see. And Penny um, exudes that. And I do want you to know, if you're newer in this church, um, Penny is a gem. And we have a lot of those gems in here. And it's one of the really special things about this church family is you will see um, some other people who have uh, pushed 50 up the hill a little bit um, who have come through some things and have found that Jesus is enough and have found that being with Jesus and resting with Jesus is, is the greatest treasure. And so I just want to encourage you that if you find yourself, whether it's at an area lunch or something like that, and you see um, someone with a, with a few more white hairs than you, um, just ask them their story and, and learn and glean from what does that look like? Because as I look around the room, I see so many that have come through life experience to know the value of, of following Jesus. And Penny is just an example of that. So thank you, Penny, for, um, for being here. Hold on. I mean, <laughs> You're fine. You're done. But just, you know, uh, uh, but I just am so appreciative um, of what you have meant to this church family and how you represent so many people in this church body who have been following faithfully. So thank you. All right. Now just help me get out of this chair. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why we're dismissing the kids now, because he gives us plenty of time to help you do that. So if you are a child up through grade six and you'd like, you can go back through those doors to Faith Kids. All right, let's pray and then let's continue our basic series. Father, I am just so grateful that you love your church. Jesus, I am so grateful that you have purchased and redeemed your church. Holy Spirit, I am so grateful that you are in your church, that you are moving in this place, that you are reminding us of all that Jesus did and said, that you are drawing us closer and closer to the Father, that you are constantly transforming lives. We are never finished in growing in our intimacy with you, our love for you, our dependence on you, and our love for others. So please, in this morning, as we open your words, stir in our hearts, point us to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We love you, we need you, and this morning is all from you. We acknowledge that, and it is all for you. Amen. Amen. All right. John chapter 15, turn to the Gospel of John chapter 15. And as you are turning there, we are in our basic series, and and to put it as most basic as possible, uh, the goal of this series is to remind us what it means to be followers of Jesus and to know how to help others to be followers of Jesus. Of Jesus, we want to um, remind one another what it what it looks like, how how to actually follow Him, and we want to do so in a way that we feel equipped to teach others how to do that. 
And so that is the goal of this series. Uh, I'm excited about it. Jay opened it up last week with belonging to Jesus. And there we, we just talked about the reality of uh, we are not our own. That one, if we are redeemed by Jesus and we have been transformed by the Holy Spirit, then I don't belong to me anymore. I am not my own. I have been, I have been purchased with a price. And that the freedom that he has purchased for me is not a freedom to do whatever I want but it is a freedom from our slavery to sin and our slavery to self and our divided desires and ultimately our, uh, our slavery to, to death, which is, uh, which is pretty extraordinary. And so that, that defines who we are. This week we're going to talk about being with Jesus and next week we're going to talk about being like Jesus. Those things really go hand in hand. It really doesn't, in one sense, doesn't make sense to separate those things because they're so, so knit together. Um, but then this would have been like an hour and 45 minute sermon and nobody wants that. And so we, uh, we're, we're dividing these things. But no, it's so important for you to also come next week uh, to, to really get the, the, the fullness of what we're talking about here. So let's Go through John chapter 15. This is a familiar passage. This is certainly not the first time that we have taught this passage here in this church. But here is what's going on. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser, the one who cares for the vines. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So if you're listening carefully to what Jesus is saying there, what you just heard is there is no non-cutting option. Everyone's getting cut, right? Either, either it is a dead branch that is being cut off or it is a healthy, fruitful branch that is being pruned. But there is no option where I'm not getting cut. If I belong to him, then I need to expect pruning in my life. And that is a good thing, a really good thing, because he loves me too much to just let me grow in whatever direction I please. He goes on. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch by itself cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine And you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. What he's saying here, life life is found in being attached to the vine. If the branch is removed from nourishment, then it will wither and die. No matter how many other branches you pile up with it, if it's, a t- if it's detached from the root, it is going to wither and die. The goal cannot be to make sure that I am surrounded by other branches. The goal needs to be that I am sure that I am attached to the vine. Those are very different things. Right? The cut branches are all gathered together. Right? There's all kinds, there's lots of them all together here, it says. But that would be foolishness for, uh, if we can turn this into a bit of a cartoon, it would be foolishness for all these branches to be celebrating. We must be right, because look how many there are of us all together here. And they're all high-fiving their leaves all the way to the burn barrel. Right? That's a problem. So the goal cannot be, are there other branches around me who agree with me? The, 
It has to be, am I actually attached to the vine? Because if not, I will wither and I will die. And so he goes on, verse 7, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. It's an extraordinary promise. By this, my Father is glorified that you would bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Abide is not really a word that we typically use. We've talked about it quite a bit here at Faith, but it's not a word that you're going to work into conversation typically uh, in, 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 in your normal comings and goings. Um, and it, it simply means to live or to dwell. To live with Jesus, to dwell with Jesus, to be with Jesus, to follow Jesus, to stay close to Jesus. That's, that's all that means, to live. The place where you abide is the place where you live. And so what he's talking about is live with me, be with me. If you live with me, if you live in in close proximity to me, in intimate relationship with me, then you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, if you are not, if you are living in and with something else, then do not expect to bear fruit. And so if we hear that, if we're listening to that, then our question should be, well, how do I do that? How, how do I live with Jesus? What does that look like? What does that mean? And he goes on in verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Abiding with Jesus, this is something that we get to do. This isn't a duty or an obligation. This isn't something that we have to do. This is what we get to do. It is not a rule. It is a joy. It is a privilege. It is a delight. My family has been out of town for the last like week and a half. Uh, and and I, I got to pick them up at the airport and bring them home yesterday. Uh, and my thought as we walked back into the house, was not, well, now I guess I have to live with these people because that's the rule. No, this is my son. This is my daughter. This is my bride. I am so grateful to have them back in my arms and back in my home and back in my life. It is my delight and my joy for us to be together with one another again. It is a privilege to get to live alongside them. And the source of all joy and delight and life has invited us into that with himself. That's what this is all about. We get to live with Jesus right now. Our salvation is not like tickets to a concert or a Packer game where we have our, our seat secured for some future event. It is an adoption into a family that we live in right now. We just don't have to stop living in that. Right now, we have access into this, and the reality is it is the only way that we can become more and more like Jesus, which is the Father's goal for us. Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. 
follow me, follow him, and he will turn us into new creations, new people with new desires and new goals, better goals, producing the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control in our hearts and toward the people around us. We will produce that fruit as a result of our intimacy with him. And we do this by listening to Jesus. Here he says, you abide in me if you hear my words and then you do them. So we listen to Jesus by following his example and by obeying his commands, right? And we know his commands and we see his examples by following him closely. And Jesus lays out for us what that looks like, how to practically abide in him. And, and uh, there's a portion of what we just read and then, and then one other portion here that I want us to, to look at. In John 10, 27, he tells us, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Two very clear steps. They hear me, they listen to me, and they follow me. And then in the passage that we just read, If you keep my commandments, then you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love. So if you have your basics journal, uh, I'd encourage you to write in the notes section there these three things. These are are three basic steps of, of abiding with Jesus. And they're delightfully uncomplicated. Number one, we listen to him. Number two, we follow him. And number three, we do what he commands the way he commanded us to do it. We listen to him, we follow him, and we do what he commands the way he commanded us to do it. Next week, we're going to talk about number three. We're going to take the whole sermon and unpack number three and talk practically about what we can commit to in in walking in that This week, we're going to focus on one and two. So, number one, we listen to Jesus. Jesus tells us, I have have these other sheep that are not of this fold, and I I must bring them also, he says. So, I have these other sheep, it's in John chapter 10. I have these other sheep that are not of this fold. He's speaking to the Jewish community, and, and he's kind of giving them a, a, a hint towards what is coming. And, and what's coming is that the Gentiles are also going to be included in this. And so he's telling them, I have other sheep, which includes most of us in this room. I have other sheep who are not of this fold, and I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and follow me so that there will be one flock and one shepherd. So again, we see this, how, how will we know who they are? Because they're the ones who listen to me. And they follow me. And then Matthew 17, the Father declares, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. We need to listen to Jesus. That sounds 
so basic that we just take it for granted. Well, of course, absolutely, totally should listen to Jesus. Are we? Do we? Daily? In everything? Because we're right, it is that basic. That's why it's the basic series. It's appropriately titled, right? It's the, it's the foundation. We have to start. And if we don't have that, then Jesus himself says, look, if you hear what I say and then you don't do it, you're, you're like building a house on sand at the seashore. How long do you think that house is going to last? Because you're not, you're not listening. And you know you are listening when you actually do the things that I've commanded you to do. So we have to ask ourselves, who are we listening to? What Are we listening to Jesus? When we read Matthew chapter 5-7, through 7, when we read the Sermon on the Mount, are we really listening to what Jesus is saying as he explains how the world really works, how life really works, and how you live in his kingdom? Are we listening to his words and are we ready to follow his example in that? We have to ask ourselves, church, who are we really listening to? Who are we really following? Not who do we say that we're following, not who do I think that I'm following, but whose voice do I allow to have the most influence over my desires, my opinions, my beliefs, and my actions? Because I follow the one that I'm actually listening to. The voice that carries the most weight in my life is the one that I follow. So who are we listening to? That's one of the questions in your, in your basics journal there. I hope that you would, if you don't have an immediate answer right now, that this week you would go home, you would pray through that, and you would really seriously consider that. Who are you listening to? We listen oftentimes to ourselves, which is a recipe for disaster. Right? We can fall in, in the extremes. We can fall in one ditch. Most of us are in, some, in a sliding scale. We fit somewhere in here. And the two extremes uh, are either I'm awesome or I'm the worst, right? So my own voice is either telling me I'm the one who has this nailed and everyone else is the worst. And so in my pride, in my self-glorification, I have a difficult time learning from anybody because who could possibly teach me? I'm so much better than everybody else. And on the other extreme, we have the self-critical voice. It says, I am worse than everybody else. Who could possibly listen to me? Who would want to follow me? Who could ever love me? If they actually knew what was going on inside me, no one would want anything to do with me. And so that we listen to ourselves and the lies that we tell ourselves on either extreme. Or we listen to each other and we find ourselves crushed under the burden of others' expectations or under the desperation for their affirmation and encouragement and acknowledgement. We listen to authors Which if you hear somebody say like, well, I thought this until I read this one book and that changed everything for me. If it's not this one, I would tread lightly. You give this one person's opinion all of this weight, all of this authority. Or we listen to the voices on, depending on where you are in the spectrum, either MSNBC or Fox News. And those voices carry a lot of weight for us. We listen to pastors that we find on YouTube who don't actually know you at all and you don't know them at all, but we allow them to have authority over us. Or not even pastors, just random people on Facebook and on the internet who have zero authority and zero accountability which we don't have time for me to go into how destructive that is. Maybe we'll unpack that a little bit in the podcast this week. But we allow all of these voices to have authority over us. 
And, and the reality is most of those are not, it's not wrong in and of itself to listen to that. You can gain helpful and useful information from other people. We should be listening to other people, but it becomes lethal to our souls when we give them more authority than we give Jesus over our desires and our opinions and our thoughts and our actions. This is a pre-internet problem, right? The authors of the New Testament are dealing with this issue. Read Galatians chapter 1. It's all about this issue of you're listening to all the wrong people. People who are saying that they're talking about the gospel and about the Bible, but it's actually demonically infused and is drawing you away from Jesus. Stop listening to them, Paul says in Galatians. So this is not a, a, an internet. The internet didn't cause this problem. The internet is just a fire hose spewing lighter fluid. Now we must listen to Jesus and to those who are pointing us to Jesus. Those are the voices that we need to be listening to. We need to be on guard that we aren't listening to people who appear to be hanging around the vicinity of Jesus who are actually preaching the opposite of what Jesus has commanded us and the example that he set for us. So picture yourself in the year 34 and you're hanging out with the crowd around Jesus and you're following him from town to town. You think he's amazing and you're, you're not, you know, not in the inner circle, but you're, you're following him everywhere he goes. And so you're listening to him teach and you hear the disciples all around him. And, and imagine that you spend all of your time listening to the apostles. You would have developed a radically different understanding of faith and the kingdom of God than if you listen just to Jesus. If you had just listened to the apostles, you'd be under the impression that extravagant worship and generosity is inappropriate and wasteful. That it is important to determine who is the greatest among you so that you understand everybody's position and that you exercise authority based on that position and dominance. That kids are a distraction to corporate worship and discipling them is not important. You would believe that it is honoring to God to pray for the destruction of your personal enemies and that you respond to conflict by attacking your attacker. You would also likely believe that seeking political or military power is the best way to bring about the kingdom of God and you would certainly believe that it's appropriate to be afraid of your circumstances and not realize that Jesus sternly, lovingly, but sternly rebuked every single one of those ideas and said, no, what are you doing? That is not at all how I work or how my kingdom works. And you could hardly blame us in that for going, but I'm, I'm listening to the person who's literally closest to Jesus, like he's literally walking right next to him. But it's not listening to Jesus. I have to hear where is he agreeing with Jesus and where is he disagreeing with Jesus? And, and who do, whose side do I choose? Whose opinion do I pick when there is a difference of opinion? It would be completely reasonable to listen to Peter and think, but he's like his, like his best bud. And you would hear good, some good things coming from Peter, especially if you were within earshot when he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus goes, right. Yes, I am. But if you assume because he made that statement that was 100% correct that then everything else he says is totally biblical, you might miss that less than two minutes later, Jesus calls him Satan because he says something super duper wrong. 
And Jesus says, oh, you, uh, you were, you, okay, that one was good. This one was the worst. Listen to this one, church. That one was way off. That's not how I operate. We need to listen to what Jesus is actually saying. The only way that we know the difference when that person is communicating trustworthy, God-honoring truth and when they are accidentally a mouthpiece of Satan is Jesus. And the reality is that's the same person, right? That was Peter. In one conversation, he manages to do both things. Right? Bless his heart, man. I can understand. I can understand. We have to ask ourselves, how does what I'm saying, what I'm doing, what I'm believing, how does what they're saying, what they're doing, what they're believing align with what Jesus said and did? Because it is Jesus that I'm wanting to listen to and it is Jesus that I'm trying to help you to listen to. I don't want you to listen to me. I want you to listen to Jesus. It is only in going directly to Jesus that we're able to discern what is true and what is a misrepresentation of him or direct disobedience to him that is actually leading us away from him. And for us, part of what that means is on, on this side of history, when we have the extraordinary privilege of holding this incredible book in our hands, we must have a more careful criteria than simply, am I using the Bible or did they use the Bible? We have to remember Satan used the Bible to try to destroy Jesus. People used the Bible to justify murdering Jesus. Let's try to aim a little higher than that, church. This, what makes this book so extraordinary. So Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the word of power. Jesus is the word that is living and active. Jesus is the word that spoke the universe into existence and the glory and beauty and power and authority and miraculous wonder of this book is in that it points us to Jesus. That is why this book has so much authority because it continues to say, Jesus, look to Jesus. It is all about him. It is all for him. To the glory of the Father and empowered by the Holy Spirit. It is Jesus. Jesus was constantly speaking to people who claimed to be speaking on behalf of God, who knew the Bible better than any of us in this room and were really incredible at using reason to explain what are the best ways to obey him? And what Jesus says to them is, you have heard it said, but I say to you this. In Matthew chapter 5, six times just in that chapter, he says, you have heard it said, but I say to you this. Jesus says, but I say to you over every single aspect of our lives. Every single aspect. But this teacher taught me, but I say to you. But I learned in this Bible study, but I say to you. But I, what I feel is, but I 
say to you? And why does he have the authority to get to do that? Why? Who, is, who is Jesus that he gets to correct all of our misunderstandings? He's God. That's why he gets to correct that. Because he is God. He has the authority to do that. Because long ago, and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe with the word of his power. When the one who literally holds every atom in existence by his word says, actually, what I say is this, we should listen, church. Otherwise, why on earth would we say, Jesus is my Lord? What nonsense is that to say, Jesus is Lord, I just don't think he's right about anything and I think his opinion is ridiculous and I'm not going to follow him or listen to him. We don't actually articulate it that way. I just don't listen to him or do what he says. No, that, that is who is speaking to us. That is who has the authority. And it turns out all the prophets in the Old Testament were pointing to Jesus. All the authors of the New Testament and all the letters that they're writing are two people and two churches reminding them of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and who they are because of that, and then how they should live in light of who Jesus is and what he has done and who they are because of that. Jesus is our teacher, he is our example, and we follow his example. We must. We want to abide in the vine and listen to the branches that are pointing us back to the vine, saying, no, 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 the vine, the vine. What did he say? What did he do? How did he live? And you may hear that and you think, Robbie, how on earth am I supposed to do that? I don't, I'm not a Bible scholar. How am I supposed to discern all of these voices and know who's, who's right, whose theology is correct? How can, how can I possibly do that? The good news is you are not expected to be a Bible scholar. It is all much easier than you think. The answer is not, but, but if I don't have all the knowledge and all the information, how can you do that? It's not knowledge and information that you need, it's discernment. Which is a gift from the Spirit of the living God that dwells in you, that he has given you, that you have access to, to discern. Does that sound like Jesus? Or does that not sound like Jesus? Simply ask yourself, what are they saying about Jesus? If they are claiming to speak on behalf of God, what are they saying about the one who God says speaks on behalf of him? Is the path that they walked to arrive at their conclusion based on the life, teaching, example, death, and resurrection of Jesus? Are they contradicting things that Jesus himself said? Did they say nothing about Jesus at all? That's a red flag. Or just give him a passing mention. Are they pointing you to trust in Jesus or in themselves or in people? Are they reminding you that the cross and his grace is the only means for conquering sin in the world? Are they pointing you to Jesus' teaching as an example, as the means to accomplish his ends, or are they pointing you toward something else? And I know the difference when I am actually spending time with Jesus and I recognize his voice. And I go, that's not what my Jesus sounds like. 
Our task is not to judge everyone else's sincerity in that. I'm not policing everyone else to go, well, you, don't have an, you didn't mention Jesus often enough in that explanation, and so now I judge you based on that. No, no, it's just being able to discern whose voices I should be listening to. And the reality is, the fun fact is, when Jesus is the criteria, I'll actually listen to a lot more people, not fewer. Because instead of people having to fit within all of these various doctrinal understandings and all of these, I have to agree personally with all of these positions and all of these things, I now, if I go, you just have to sound like Jesus, I can now learn from my children. My six-year-old can disciple me by reminding me of Jesus' goodness and his grace. And I go, man, that's totally something Jesus would say. And I can suddenly be taught by way more than my narrow views. So it allows me to live more openly and humbly. I don't want to judge other people for that because while granted there are people who abuse Jesus' name for their personal gain, I believe there are far more who just unwittingly, like sometimes I just, I could say something that I don't realize that wasn't a line of thinking based on Jesus. That was based on my opinion, my preferences, my culture, all of these things that led me here. And I go, wait a minute, I don't think Jesus was the path that got me here. And so we have grace for people in that. We can catch ourselves doing that all the time, which is why we need Jesus and each other. Right? Being with Jesus is in every way personal, right? I can't do it through you. Your faith doesn't count for me, so it's very personal, but in no way private. I can't do it without you. See the difference? I can't do it through you, but I also can't do it without you. We're in this together. Jesus says, where two or more are gathered in my name, I am among them. So if I want to be with Jesus, I want to be with my Jesus-following family, because that's where we see him most fully in that. Jesus must be our teacher and we must live together as his apprentices. As we finish up here, one thing, a couple things that I just want to leave us with are number one, Jesus is not a concept or idea to be mastered. Jesus is not a power or force to be harnessed and used. Jesus is not a private experience to be indulged in or personalized. And he is not a platform of policies to be pushed on others. He is a person to be known. He is personal and he is relational. I absolutely love how Penny said, it's loving him more as I'm seeing him more. As I spend more time with this person I love, I grow in my love for them. As I grow in intimacy with them, I am grown in my affection and, des and desire toward them and, and, and dependence on them. Church, I just encourage you, when you read the Bible, look for Jesus. For Jesus, not the things to prove your point or your position or your argument. Look for Jesus in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're the story of Jesus. Where Listen to his words. How is he defining reality? How is he defining God and people and how things work and, and how to find joy and what peace actually really looks like? How does he encourage us to treat other people? How does he encourage us to view culture? How does he encourage us to handle our possessions? How does he treat people? 
How does he, who does he choose to associate with? And what does he do with them? How does he act toward them? How does he use his authority? And what authority does he submit to? What are the examples that he is setting for us? Listen to him and watch his example. And when you pray, listen. Don't just talk at him. Listen to him and allow the Holy Spirit what Jesus says the Holy Spirit does. Let's again practice listening to Jesus. Here's what he says the Holy Spirit does. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Listen to the Holy Spirit. One of his primary roles is to remind you of all the things that Jesus said and to point you toward his example. We do that together, church. I'm going to ask the worshiping team to come back up. I'm going to celebrate with one last song. As we do, here's the triune God of the universe. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is working in perfect cooperation to lead us to him, to draw us into the perfect worshipful community that it is. The Father sent the Son to live and teach as the perfect example if we're willing to listen. That, that he, and, and the Son lives and dies and defeats death to invite us and adopt us into this life to dwell within, and dwell within us and to point us to Jesus by the Spirit. And the Spirit empowers us to walk in all of that together. So right now, we're going to join together and, and participate in a physical reminder of who our Jesus is, what He taught, and what He has accomplished on our behalf by His life and His defeat of death. He says to his disciples, I'm going, I'm going away. I won't be with you in this physical sense. But I will not leave you as orphans. I'm sending you my spirit. I'm giving you one another. And I'm giving you these physical reminders to point back to you. Remember who I am. Remember what I've done. Remember who you are together because of me. And so he tells them, Says the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he distributed it to them, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until his return. Jesus, help us to proclaim, to shout it from the mountains, to tell it to the masses that you are God and that you, for some inexplicable, incomprehensible reason, invite us, your rebellious creation, into loving relationship with you. And you are incredible. We love you. We need you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.